Somehow I've dodged uh, having to read long passages, but today that is right. Acts chapter 3, 1 to 4, 5 to 13. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his eyes on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why did you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied him denied in the presence of Pilate when he, had decided to, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did all sorts of rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are examined today by concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, 
of the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Would God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Hey, thank you, Nathan, for that um, very good scripture reading. Do you guys catch all of that? You could summarize it now in one sentence. Okay, that's a, that's a good test if, if you caught that. Um, yeah, it's great to uh, worship together. And uh, as has been mentioned, there's so many things that we can be thankful to God uh, for just the things that he's doing in our midst. Um, this past week, we had a wonderful VBS uh, time. And I think we had about like 70 kids uh, who showed up. And uh, we're, I'm just very thankful uh, for all those who participated in the VBS, uh, all those who helped out. And I just want, can we just give these people a hand? Uh, but you know, yes, and you know, we are very appreciative of everyone who helped out with that. Uh, most of all, we thank the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the one who's doing the saving work. He's the one who's redeeming. He's the one who uh, really is uh, just making all things possible by his power. So we're so thankful for what God is doing with that. And uh, there's a couple things I want to do before I launch into my message uh, this morning. Actually, a couple of really important things. And uh, one is that we prayed for all our graduates uh, a few weeks ago and we want to recognize them, but uh, we want to give a little extra recognition for those who have graduated, uh, I think, middle school, high school, college, uh, graduate school, and yes, just whatever, all those things, you know, all those, all those graduates. And we want to, uh, we prepared a special gift if you have graduated, so if you, if that's one of you, could you please rise up where you're at? We have a special just a book. I know we have someone. <laughs> All right, we have a few there. Uh, yes, we have one here. And uh, we've prepared, we have uh, a book that we want to give you. And um, we have the, I think, The Purpose Driven Life for Graduates by Rick Warren, right? And, and another book, which is, which one did you get, Joyce? Oh, Jesus Calling. Who's the author? Oh, <laughs> okay. Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. So we have those books. See, I know everything that's going on, right? <laughs> anyway, so yeah, we have some good books. Uh, you know, hopefully you can enjoy that, okay? And uh, there's one more thing I'd like to do uh, before I launch into it, and that is, um, yeah, we have a you know, special couple with us. Uh, as uh, many of you know, Amy and Shashek. So Amy and Shashek are supportive missionaries to Poland. And uh, most of you might know this, uh, some of you don't, but uh, Amy's father is the founding pastor of our church, CEFC, here. And so we're, uh, I personally am very, very grateful uh, for Amy, Shashek, uh, for her dad as well. And uh, they have been here for the past uh, several weeks, a few weeks, to take care of Pastor Lowe as he has been recovering from some uh, severe illnesses. 
And what I wanted to do was give them just a few minutes to just kind of introduce themselves. Um, and they have a special need that I would like for us as a church to really prayerfully consider uh, contributing towards. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm going to invite Amy and Shishak to come up. Uh, Amy and Shishak are, yes. Uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're a dear couple as I've gotten to know them and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful couple. I'm so glad for them, their hearts. And uh, one thing I just appreciate about them is uh, Amy of, uh, you know, we have several missionaries we support, but there's only a few that I feel that really keep in touch with us on a really regular basis and allow us to enter into their journey together. Uh, there's just a few, and Amy is one of them, Amy and Shashek. And uh, everything from just when I first got here uh, to, you know, when their uh, daughter Aniela had passed away, and we've been praying for them for such a long time, and, um, but, you know, um, just to, um, you know, the, the ups and downs and the journey that God has taken you guys on, uh, I feel very much a part of your story and what God is doing, and, um, yeah, so I just, you guys have a special place in my heart, and so I want to just give you guys a few minutes just to share, so. Thank you, Pastor Dave, and thank you um, to everyone in this church. Uh, I can't imagine not sharing with you guys what's going on uh, in our lives because your support and your prayers mean so much to us. Um, please know that we, we could not continue doing what we're doing without the support of people behind us and around us. Um, so we're very, very grateful to you all. Um, just to give you a little background, this, this year has been a year of a lot of transitions and will be, continue to be a year of transitions for us. Um, at the end of April, Krzyzek actually resigned from his secular job um, for two main reasons. One was because it, was, it had just become a very toxic environment there, uh, but second reason was because he wanted to be able to devo devote more time uh, to ministry because he was getting really burnt out trying to do all the ministry he was doing as well as um, having a secular job. Um, so we have been feeling for a while that God has been challenging us to step out in faith. We keep having the story of Abraham come out, come, come um, to us through readings, through people, through prayers, um, and we feel like God has really confirmed for us that it, it, we need to walk in faith even though we don't know exactly what's coming up next. So all I can share for you for now is that these three months we see as a transition time of facing out of the current church we're in in Poland and helping to prepare the next leaders up because I think it's really important to open up that space for new leadership and new involvement in ministry there. Um, but there's also another uh, need that we have. Um, with the resignation of his job also came moving out of our apartment and also uh, returning the, the vehicle to, to the owners, which were his bosses. The apartment was owned by his bosses as well. So um, uh, it's kind of a crazy time, but we also know that 
the, the Lord is Jehovah Jireh. He's the provider. He always takes care of our needs. Um, but we did want to share our need with you and let you know that we are in a time of raising uh, funds for for uh, a new vehicle. Um, and also wanted to encourage you, if you would like to just keep in touch with us more, there's a sign-up sheet that we have up there where you can leave your email address and we'll add you to our, our email um, mailings updates from which we send out from time to time. Um, we also want to bring you greetings from our church in Poland. They said make sure to bring our warm, warm greetings and thanks to, to the church here. Um, I think that's it. Did you want to add anything? Just to let you know that I have a ton and I can speak, but Amy speaks English a little bit better that time. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Yeah. All right. I love hearing uh, Shishek's Polish accent. I, I just think accents are really cool to hear. <laughs> I just had to add that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they're a dear couple. We want to support them in prayer. But uh, as they also mentioned, uh, more specifically, the vehicle that they're trying to raise support for, uh, it's, I think it's a van, and it's their personal use, but really primarily for ministry. They want to transport the elderly uh, as well as many of the youth, right, to church and and to use it to travel around. So uh, I, I, I'm not sure if you have mentioned this, but I think they're trying to raise $5,000 for that vehicle, right? And you can go onto the CFC website. Uh, so there's a donate button. And if you hit donate and then uh, designate it to Amy Lowe, uh, then that will go for the $5,000 vehicle. So uh, can I just really encourage us as a church, uh, let's really just be generous. Uh, is, if God has put this on your heart, uh, would you really just consider just saying, yes, how can I bless uh, this couple in this ministry that's going on out there? And this is a very, very good tangible expression of the way we can care for uh, our missionaries who are out there and making all kinds of sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. So uh, we want to just really pray for you guys. Okay, so uh, with that, I'm going to invite us to go to the Lord in prayer right now. So if you would uh, please join me, and uh, we're going to go before the Lord right now. Our Father in heaven, uh, we are so thankful, Lord, that you have placed us in your son Jesus, um, that he is the Lamb of God who is slain, and he is the one who has redeemed us, and the one who is risen from the dead. Uh, you are the Lord of the church. We uh, bow down before you and worship you right now, and uh, we're so thankful that you have commissioned uh, people like Amy and Shashek to serve you in Poland. And Lord, we, uh, you know their needs, you know how uh, they're facing some question marks about the future, but we know, Lord, that you are the Lord of the harvest. Uh, you will direct them, uh, you will direct their steps faithfully and open up the doors that you will for them. So Lord, I pray for that, uh, for Amy and Shashag, that they would discern uh, your calling uh, upon their life and what is it that you, uh, the next season of ministry that you would have for them. Uh, we also pray for this need for a, a vehicle, and we ask, Lord, that you might raise up funds um, so that they can purchase this vehicle, and then uh, to be able to use it uh, to be a blessing to um, others, Lord. So we pray for that need right now, and help us as a church to, uh, to respond with generosity. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we look into your word now, uh, would you open up our spiritual hearts and our ears? 
Uh, let us be not only hearers of your word, but let us be doers of your word. Uh, enable us by your spirit. Uh, we cannot do this on our own. Uh, we lean upon you, Lord. We are weak, but you are strong. So, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart right now be acceptable in your sight. Uh, my God, my rock, and my redeemer. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, as you guys know, uh, a couple weeks ago, we started this series in the book of Acts. And I think the best way to describe this series is kingdom advance. God is expanding his kingdom. He's doing this work. And it's amazing that as we started off with this book, that we started off in Jerusalem. And here Jesus commissions his 12 disciples, you're going to be my witnesses. And this small, like, ragtag band of 120 followers in Jerusalem, we know that as the book of Acts unfolds, that God begins to use this, this motley crew, this, this bunch, and by his power, this kingdom is growing and expanding to the point where today there are 2.4 billion people who identify themselves as worshipers of Jesus. Uh, this is an amazing movement of God. And uh, last week, uh, I was very joyed and uh, very grateful to be part of our national denominational conference, our EFCA uh, national conference in Chicago. And there was about 1,500 pastors and church leaders who were gathered at this conference. And I got to tell you that uh, I was so energized to be uh, with these denominational, uh, these church leaders from uh, all over the country, but even the world, uh, as we hear stories of how God's using military chaplains to uh, serve in those hard places in the military, as we hear of stories of international missionaries serving in different parts all over the world. Um, we heard stories and testimonies about new churches being planted uh, all throughout. Uh, existing churches being revitalized and um, thriving and growing. And yes, there are some churches that are not doing well as well. But uh, for the most part, uh, we see that God is indeed at work and he's moving and it's exciting to see. And honestly, I came back from this conference thinking, what is more exciting than to be part of this great movement of God, right? This movement of the gospel that is transforming lives all around the world as we're being transformed as his followers and then God using us to, um, to really just share the gospel and be a transforming force in this world. And these are really exciting times that we live in, honestly. Uh, we are continuing the story of the book of Acts today. And um, it's amazing how the Spirit of God is at work all over. Well, as I see the book of Acts, and why we're going through this book is, I think, really simple. The book of Acts is our compass for the church, right? It points us in the right direction. Because I think a lot of times in church, we could be busy doing ministry. There's a lot of things we could be doing and we could expend our energy and fill our schedules with so many things. But the question is, what are we supposed to really be doing? What is the overarching purpose and mission of the church? CFC, but 
church with a capital C. And Acts points us in the right direction. It's our overarching compass. So the first three chapters of Acts forms what I would say is a triad centering on this movement of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, we start off with the apostles. And as Jesus leaves them in Jerusalem, um, they are caught up in a prayer. And we talked about how important prayer is as a foundation of all that we do. But they're praying and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. In Acts chapter 2, we see the day of Pentecost. And God, in fulfillment of Joel and biblical prophecy, pours out his spirit upon the church. And as the spirit of God is poured out upon the church, uh, we see them immediately testifying and witnessing to Jesus. And this is the age that we live in right now. We live in the age of the Holy Spirit that's been poured out upon us as a church. We have a supernatural power to witness to Jesus. But chapter 3, we see the apostles being empowered by the Spirit. And we want to see what is marks of the Spirit. We want to see how is it that the Spirit empowered these apostles. And so the title of this message is really the marks of the Spirit-filled church. The marks of the Spirit-filled church. And really simply... Uh, these are the three things I'm supernaturally hoping to communicate within 25 minutes. So the first one is the power of Christ demonstrated. The second one is the proclamation of Christ declared. And the third is persecution and opposition. Uh, I racked my brain to think of a good, you know, P, uh, C, D, but I couldn't think of it. So there you have it. Persecution and opposition. Straightforward, Okay. Uh, but that's, those are three things that I want to try to communicate uh, through this, this text. Well, the first one is this. The power of Christ demonstrated, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, or 1 through 10. The power of Christ demonstrated. So look back in this text with me. And it says, now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man laying from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. All right, so this is the equivalent of him going to Peter and John, or as, you know, he's sitting at here. Hey, you got some spare change? You know, got some money on you? Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as one, the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And I just want to note a couple things as we look at this first part. When the Spirit of God is filling us individually as Christians, but as a church we are going to see demonstrations of Christ's power at work. As Peter and John are going about, 
their normal routine, going to the temple to pray. I want you to know this, that all of a sudden, that they have this new set of eyes. I mean, this, this person who was begging there had been there all along. And instead of ignoring this man, this time Peter and John, they know this, and they have this compassion for this, this person who's begging. And when Christ comes into your life and when we're filled with the Spirit, one of the marks of that will be that you will begin to notice things that you never noticed before. You will see all kinds of needs of people around you. And there will be this fresh compassion and this mercy to extend the love of Christ to people that you never had the heart to extend the love of Christ to before. But you will begin to see these needs as Peter and John did. As you come, as you are filled with the Spirit, He gives you fresh new eyes. Now, Peter and, and John, you know, they see this invalid. He's broken, he's broken, he's penniless, he's in shame. He's been living this way for, you know, he's already over 40 years old. He's presumably lived this way for decades. And by the power of Jesus, this man begins to walk and praise God. And what Luke is trying to show us in chapter 3, is that Christ, just as he was here on earth, performing all kinds of miracles, healing people, casting out demons, uh, exercising his authority, he's continuing to do so from heaven. Christ continues to demonstrate his power from heaven, the ascended Christ. And he's performing these miracles, but He's doing it in such a way so that it validates the gospel message, the proclamation of the gospel. Right? Um, we don't get caught up in an earthly kingdom. Right? We're not getting caught up in the health and wealth movement. You know, where we're seeing everything physically healed in this day and age now. That's not what we're getting caught up in. We pray for healing and it's the sovereign God who determines who he's going to heal and on one occasion he's going to bring this healing. But I want you to note something that God will always, always heal. He will always heal either in this present world for those who put their faith in Christ or he will heal in the resurrection to come. Right? Not necessarily in this world, in this day and age, but for those who put their faith in Christ, he will heal physically at the resurrection. But ultimately, the sign of the Spirit's breaking in and his work is that Christ is delivering people from their spiritual illnesses and the power of sin in darkness and Christ is doing this and he's breaking in and it's the life transforming power of Jesus to deliver people in this way it's a transformed life and this is a sign of the spirits working people who put their faith in Christ they're now born again and as they're born again they are they have new life about them they are different uh, I remember 
you know, doing this training, and I was in a rural, a rural part of China, and I was doing uh, training for uh, the church leaders in this rural part of China, and I still remember uh, this older Christian, this older man. Uh, he was, I think, in probably about his 70s. Um, yeah, probably in his 70s at that, at that point. And, you know, he was telling me that in that part of China that they experienced all kinds of miracles. And uh, in the earlier days of Christianity, and they saw all kinds of physical healings. And they saw people um, just miraculously just cured uh, by the power of Jesus. But he told me that later on um, that they began to see a diminishing, basically, of these miracles happening in their, in their part of China, in, in this rural uh, area. And what he told me, I, you know, I won't forget. And what he said was that God wants the people, the Christians now in this area, to depend more upon his word than on these healings. And that was really good. You know, as God has given us his word, right, as God has given us the full revelation of who he is through his word, we don't need to depend upon the physical healings to see Christ's power. But you know what? It's the word of God that transforms lives. It's the word of God that is the double-edged sword that divides and it, it transforms and it heals and it delivers people from death. And so we depend upon the word of God to see the power of Christ breaking through and for Christ to establish his kingdom on earth. And as this word goes out, we see that happening. But this is, you are, we are going to see the power of Jesus at work as the Spirit of God fills us and uses us as a church. The second thing is a proclamation of Christ declared. The proclamation of Christ declared. And I want you to know that as you look at this passage, that even the healing of this man, as I was mentioning, is always for a greater purpose. The healing is always for the preaching of the gospel. This is the ultimate aim. In verse 11, Luke writes, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portal called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. And there's a couple of things I want you to note just as we look at this part of how, how uh, this narrative is unfolding. I want you to see so far that first of all, the ministry of both deed and word always go hand in hand. They always go hand in hand in the church. The action and deed opened up the ministry of the word and proclamation. This is what we find throughout the Bible and Scripture, Jesus, his ministry, and continuing in the book of Acts. And that's why, you know, when you see Christians all over the world and when you see the church in action, there's always these acts of compassion and proclamation going together. Holt Ministries, which we support as a church here, they come by uh, during our missions conference 
and this is a child sponsorship program. Several of you have already sponsored one of these children, but they are a classic example of how they go into some of the neediest areas and they take these children um, and they care for them medically, physically, emotionally, in every single way, and then are able to share the message of Jesus, right? And even our community group, I remember last fall where we went into this assisted living facility uh, for the elderly. And this was a a perfect illustration of how uh, seeing the members of our CG, of our community group, ministering to to the different elderly, just going in and saying, you know, we just want to, we care for you. How can we help you? Uh, we, you know, we just are here to say hi to you, to get to know you. And as we were able to minister to them, we invited them down to join us for a Bible study. And several of them came down. And then through that Bible study, we were able to declare the gospel, right? And we, we were able to preach Jesus to them. And it opened up their hearts to receive that message. But this is what we find all throughout. So we learn to do both. And as Christians, as individual believers, as you go back to your workplace, your neighborhoods, right, your schools, um, God's going to open up all these opportunities and he's going to help you see what the needs are. And as he, he opens up these needs, you, you go into to these situations and you show compassion and care. And as you do so, you know, the Spirit of God uses you. And for the second observation, or the second thing that we see, but that is that the ministry of proclaiming the gospel is the ultimate priority. It is the ultimate priority. I want you to notice something. As we looked at this, these verses in Acts 3, right, 11 through 21, the people, when this, when this beggar, when this layman, when he's healed, um, they're utterly amazed. And rightly so, right? You look at this, um, this situation and you think, wow, this is incredible. But Peter very quickly diverts attention away from himself. It's not about him and it's not even about the healed man. We are prone and we tend to maybe idolize and worship. Wow, this person healed this and this person just got. But Peter is saying that's not the point. The point is not the physical healing. He's saying it's about this man Jesus. He is the name that gave this person life. And so Peter's pointing to Christ. And all throughout in Scripture, when you see miracles, the miracles were never just the point for their own sake. The miracles were always just a launching pad into the message. Right? Jesus didn't perform miracles to just simply demonstrate his power. He did it so that he can, dem- he can point to their ultimate spiritual need and to himself as the true messianic king. This is why he did, he performed his many miracles. Now, without this ministry of deed and action, the Christian message becomes lifeless and cold, right? 
But if we just end up doing a lot of action and deed, and we're not actually verbally sharing the gospel and evangelizing, then we have left out the very truth that actually saves people. It's not the deeds and actions that save people. It's Jesus. And so we always look and pray for an opportunity. How can I actually testify to Jesus through this? That's what we're looking for. We don't have an ulterior motive of loving people, but we do have an ultimate motive, don't we? We should be looking for opportunities to actually testify Here is Jesus. And this is what we find in the book of Acts. The mystery of proclaiming the gospel is of ultimate priority for these apostles. So what is this message? In verses 13 to 16, Luke says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter launches right into, here's the gospel. And I want you to see and note all the ways that Peter is exalting Jesus, the way he's he's pointing to Christ. Look how Christ-centered his message is, right? But all the titles of of Christ. Jesus is the the servant of God. And this term, the servant of God, is actually from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. But it's a messianic title that he's going to serve God's ultimate purposes. And while most people are trying to climb the ladder, Jesus really comes as the servant to give his life as a ransom. But Jesus is glorified by God. God exalts the name of Jesus. Jesus is a holy and righteous one. And again, this term, holy and righteous one, it's a messianic title from Isaiah 53 where the servant of the Lord is called the righteous one. Stephen, later on in the book of, in Acts chapter 6, as he's being stoned to death, he actually refers to Jesus as the righteous one. He repeats the same phrase to describe who Jesus is, the only one who is completely obedient, and yet he was the one who was murdered and in our behalf. Jesus is the author of life, and The irony here is that even though he was killed, he's the one who actually gives life. And Peter is the one who 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 tells us that Jesus' death was foretold by the prophets here. You killed Jesus, but he rose from the dead, verses 15 and 26. But Jesus, as the apostles are going out to preach, they're always preaching his death, his resurrection. And Jesus is the name that heals. And notice, as Jesus is talking about who, as Peter is talking about who Jesus is, how he describes the crowds, the people. Here's Jesus, but then here's us. 
here's the crowds. And this description of the crowds of us is not very flattering. He says, you handed Jesus over to be killed. And he basically tells this crowd, you're worse than Pilate. You killed the author of life. You're ignorant. You're wicked. These are not flattering terms, right? But he tells it as it is. This is how the Bible describes a human condition. What is the gospel message? The gospel message is really simple. If I were to boil it down to two points, right, it would be the human depravity of man, that you and I have this depraved, sinful nature. We're worse than we even know. But we are the ones who are guilty of rebelling against God. If we were there, we would have done the exact same thing. We would have killed the very author of life. This is the description of mankind. But secondly, Peter says, here's the death, the substitutionary death of Jesus and his resurrection. That even though we are guilty of having killed the author of life, Jesus took our place to atone for our sins. And he rose again. So Peter tells them this, our only response to the gospel is to repent. To repent. Repentance, he says, repent therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. But repentance is the necessary response to receive God's gift. Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned back from your sin? Have you turned back from your own purpose, living life in your own way, in your own terms? Have you turned and submitted your life to God, given it to Jesus? This is the necessary response. Some people understand the gospel intellectually and they may agree to it, but they have not repented of their sins. You must repent. You must turn away from sin. You must give your life to God. And you must put your faith completely in Jesus. This is the message of the gospel. And as Peter says, if you would repent, then there is total forgiveness for your sins. Verse 19, where he says, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. This is a free gift that God gives. If you would repent, he would freely forgive you of your sins. Sin is a stain. It is a power that overcomes each person born into this world. But Jesus' blood wipes it all away. And he gives spiritual refreshment. Verse 20, the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is this idea of rest, relief. That forgiveness of sins means a refreshed, revitalized spirit. Is your spirit revitalized because your sins are forgiven? Do you have new life in Jesus? You must be born again. If you put your faith in Jesus, your life will be, should be completely different. It's spiritual refreshing. And then restoration. This is a time when Christ returns. And it says in verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring 
all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. But when Christ returns, this whole world will be renewed. Jesus is going to come back, and when he comes back, he's going to restore all things. He's going to bring judgment upon the world. And then he's going to restore all things, including you and I. And that's when we experience our resurrection with Christ. But this is the promise that God gives. This is the message of hope. This is a message of salvation. And we are told later on in verse 14 that some people responded and this, the number of Christians grew to 5,000. See, God promises spiritual fruit. Our role is to faithfully proclaim this message. God's role is to save. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. And he's the one who brings people to repentance. But we must be obedient. And we must be faithful. And we must be faithful to proclaim this message. This is what we're all about. This is a, mess- this is a mission of our church. Um, if we don't get this right, we could be busy with a lot of things, but we're totally missing it. But this is what, this is what Christ has commissioned for our church to do. And the last thing I want you to see, and this is really important, is that there will be persecution. There will be opposition. You know, we're not, we're not going to sugarcoat this here. Verse 5 to 13 says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the capstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Immediately, as the apostles are preaching the gospel, they face immediate opposition. They face religious conflict and persecution. And I believe that... One of the marks, if the Spirit of God is truly filling us, is that we are going to be risk-taking for the sake of, the, of proclaiming the gospel. We will, face pers- we will face opposition. There's no doubt about it. You know, I think that there's two kinds of churches and Christians. One is that when the world gets worse and you see all the liberal values, right, you become critical of the world, you say, ah, oh, the world's getting worse. Look at how liberal it's becoming. And then you build a fortress. Okay, I'm going to build a fortress around me. And we need to protect the truth. But I think the second kind is the kind that makes you bolder to take the gospel out even more. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. But I'm talking about an, an empowerment to say we need to engage the world with the gospel. The early church throughout its history, if you look at it, the the gospel always advanced through men and women 
who are willing to give up their comforts, even their life, to evangelize and proclaim the gospel. They were willing to give up those things. I support uh, one of our missionaries, or not our missionaries at a church, but one of the missionaries I personally support uh, with Radius International. And you guys heard last year we had uh, Rain, Wayne Chen and, um, and uh, Brooks, right, Buser, right, come and share at our missions conference. And, you know, I get their updates and things like that. And, you know, in their email, they were just describing their update that they just graduated a fresh new class to take the gospel cross-culturally. And they're going to go into some of the most unreached parts of the world. It won't be easy, right? They have to learn two languages, the main language and then the tribal language or the local dialect. Um, they have to, um, you know, understand the culture and the cultural, overcome some of the cultural barriers that are going to confront them. And then they have to contextualize this gospel, right, in the midst of all of that to proclaim it. Why? All for the purpose of seeing a healthy gospel-centered church planting movement among that unreached people group. And, you know, they made it very clear that, look, you know, this is going to mean rather than thriving, you're going to have to just endure. There's going to be a lot of enduring loneliness. You're going to have to endure all kinds of uh, monotony, trials, deep challenges. It's not going to be easy. But this is part of what it means for the sake of advancing the gospel. And this is actually what we find in the book of Acts. If we're filled with the Spirit and we're seeking the things of God and we're seeking to be faithful as a gospel-centered church, what it's going to mean is sacrifice. It's going to mean that we're going to be a church individually and corporately that's willing to say, I'm willing to sacrifice whatever it takes so that the gospel can be advanced. And we see these apostles taking risks, and there's opposition. And I want to ask you these questions. Here's an acid test. Do you actively seek to verbally witness to the gospel in your life? Do you actively seek for opportunities to verbally witness? Do you face opposition because you are seeking to evangelize for the sake of Jesus? Have you had to endure sacrifice, significant sacrifice? Why? Because your, your aim is to evangelize. Have you had, have you experienced this? Are you experiencing it? Sacrifice comes in a lot of forms. There's a lot of energy and time and getting out of comfort zones. There's a lot, right? Have you faced opposition or been rejected or have had to move way beyond your comfort zone because you prioritize witnessing? Has it cost anything to do that? That is the mark of spirit-empowered gospel advancement. And these are hard questions to ask. But if we're not experiencing any challenge because of this, then we're probably chickening out. And we're losing sight of the mission of Jesus. That's probably why. Wherever the apostles preached the gospel, there was conflict. 
And if you don't face any resistance or conflict at all, then, I, then there's a question behind that. We shouldn't be persecuted because we're being jerks, right? Because we're insensitive or rude or harsh or judgmental. We should be respectful. We should be kind. We should be, uh, we should be seeking to be as respectful as possible. And we shouldn't be forcing things. But it's inevitable that like these Christians, that when we are intentional about evangelizing, we will face opposition. And we will be moved way beyond our comfort zone. And there will be sacrifice. It's inevitable. But here's the, the key. Verse 13, Luke says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know, Peter and John, right, they're not, they don't have, they don't have a lot in the world's eyes. So it's not about your intelligence or your education level. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with your willingness and obedience. It doesn't matter if you have a GED, a PhD. It doesn't matter. What matters is God is able, to, is able to use you if you're obedient and willing. That's the important thing. And their boldness came because they've been with Jesus. We have to be with Jesus. We have to know Jesus. And we have to let this gospel sink deeper into our hearts. And we have to let it refresh and renew you day by day so that you are genuinely passionate for the gospel. Don't let it become old news. Let it refresh you day after day. If it's old, you're not going to be bold. If it's stale, you're not going to be courageous. You must let the gospel be your central focus. So here's a few points that I want to just share with you, just application. But look to meet the needs real needs of the people around you. Uh, how, how can you minister to your neighbors, your coworkers, to your fellow students? How can you, um, yeah, family, friends, how can you do that? But look for opportunities to actually share the gospel. Don't chicken out, you know. God will open up opportunities, but don't chicken out. Like, look for opportunities to actually share. And third, be willing to take risks and pay the price. Be willing to offend not be offensive, but be willing to share gospel truths that may not sit well. Um, and let God do the work, right? He's the one who does the saving. You know, God doesn't call us, God doesn't, you know, call us to bear the fruit. He does, he bears the fruit. But God calls us to obedience. This is our compass as a church. This is what we're about. And if we lose sight of this, then we've lost sight of what Jesus wants us to do as a church. So uh, let's not lose sight. Let's, let's keep focused on our mission, on why we're here. Uh, let's pray. Father, uh, just as you emboldened by your spirit these early disciples, Lord, we want to continue to be seeking to be faithful witnesses to Jesus as our Lord and King, um, as the only Savior of men. And would you 
help us, would you embolden us by your spirit? Take us out of our comfort zone. Um, help us to be courageous. Help us not to back down. Help us not to lose sight of why we're in this world, uh, to get caught up in so many um, other things. But Lord, help us to be set upon you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and to make you known. We pray this in your name. Amen.